And uh, yeah, let's give Rachel a big welcome. She's uh, come over from uh, Willie Castle with us this morning. There we go. We're going to pray for Rachel and she's going to share with us. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your written word. You've given it to us. So important to us, so special to us. We know it's the primary way that you're going to speak to us. And Lord, we do pray for Rachel this morning that you're blessed, Lord, that she would know your pleasure uh, and, yeah, the fact that you're so proud of her. And Lord, we do pray for that flow, that encouragement to her and for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Uh, you know, most of my uh, sort of training, if you like, took place in, in bigger churches where they have multiple services. So for me to speak twice is actually more normal than just speaking once. I always used to think the first one felt like a bit of a practice. So we should be good for this one, hopefully. Um, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word shalom. Maybe it reminds you of a greeting. Sometimes people sign off their emails, shalom. Maybe you think, well, that's something that Jewish people say. It's a bit like we say bye or see you later. In fact, have you ever met someone who you've never met before and you know you're never going to see them again? Perhaps they zap your shopping at the supermarket and then they go, see you later. And you think, are you coming to my house or something? You know, it's a bit, it's a bit odd, isn't it? But we say it, don't we? See you later, even though we don't really mean it. And is that what shalom is? And we're in this well-being series, and today we're going to look at this word shalom and find out what does it actually mean? Is it just a greeting, or is it something more? And already some of you I can hear are thinking, well, shalom, that's, that's peace. Shalom is peace. You know what? Peace must be one of the most sought-after things right now in our world. Who doesn't want more peace right now? Whether that's personally or internationally, who doesn't want more of shalom? Well, peace is part of shalom, but it's more than shalom is more than merely peace. Let's think about peace for a minute. Over in recent weeks, there's been a lot of diplomacy gone on, which sadly has failed to avert a war between Russia and the Ukraine. World leaders have tried desperately to obtain peace between these two nations, and maybe even the world. I I began to write this talk a couple of weeks ago, and I've had to edit and re-edit this particular bit as the situation has got worse. But you know what? Even if future talks are successful, and we pray God that they will be, and war is ended, we might say, peace. But that is not shalom. When we lived in our first house, myself and Alistair, my husband, it was a semi-detached house. We were joined to one other house. And I need to mention, because this is crucial to the story, that at the time, Alistair used to play the drums in our church. And about uh, at some point during this living next door to the neighbours, they put their house up for sale and decided to move. So the day was approaching when they were going to move out and the new neighbours were going to move in. And about a week before this happened, Alistair decided that he was going to order himself a brand new drum kit, which he was going to use at church. So the order was placed... And the day came when the neighbours were moving out and the new ones were coming and me and Alistair went off to work. And we got home 
came in the house, shut the door, started putting the tea on as you do. And there was a knock on the door and there were our new neighbours. And they said, hey, we're your new neighbours and we've just taken delivery of your brand new drum kits. Would you like it? What on earth did they think? What went? Can you imagine moving to a new house and your neighbour buys a drum kit? They didn't realise it was going to go and live at church, but what a thing. You know, peace can be the absence of a really annoying noise, and I'm not saying for one minute that Alistair's drumming was an annoying noise, but you get the point. Peace can be an absence of that noise, but that is not shalom. At the moment, we're living in a cost-of-living crisis. Inflation is at a 30-year high. And that's okay if you've got plenty of money left at the end of the month. But if you're one of those people that always has more months left than money, then there's a pressure. There's that feeling in the pit of your stomach. You want your business to grow. You want your costs to go down. You want your boss to give you a pay rise or whatever. And having enough wealth, prosperity can bring you peace of mind with the absence of worry and concern, but that is not shalom. The absence of war, the absence of noise, and the presence of the things that you need for your life are all definitions of peace. But true shalom is better. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace, safety, prosperity, well-being, intactness, which I didn't even know was a word, wholeness, security. We know that in the case of Russia and the Ukraine, any peace that comes will be dictated. It'll be based on tit for tat. Both sides will look at peace on the basis of what is good for them and not the other person. Peace may even need to be upheld through conflict with the presence of peacekeeping troops which surely has to be a biggest irony of all. And we know that even if peace is achieved, it may not last for the long haul. Peace can be dictated and peace can be temporary, but shalom is a mutual and permanent agreement between us and God. When you're sitting in your living room and you're trying to watch your TV and your neighbour is on their drum kit or they've got their music up loud, The kind of peace you're looking for is the absence of noise. And peace can be negative. It can be the absence of something. But shalom is positive. It's the presence of something. It's possible, of course, to live in a very peaceful, beautiful, quiet place, but be struggling with anxiety because of money issues. It's possible to live in a country that's not bothered by war, but be bothered about a recurring health problem. It could be that one part of your life is absolutely fine, but another part is far from well. You see, peace can be partial, but shalom is whole and complete. So although the Bible often uses the word peace, most often what it's translating is shalom, not just peace that we might understand as I've explained. And the Bible gives us, I think, two great pictures of what I'm going to call shalom living. And the first one is in Genesis 2, and I'm going to read from verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, 
trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watered the garden, flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. Then verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here we have two people, I believe, living a real shalom life. They had no worries at all. There was no war, beautiful place to live. They weren't lonely. They had no sickness or disease. They didn't need money. What would they have needed money for? And they had no sense of shame. I know if there did turn out to be any issues, the creator of the whole scene is on call 24-7. I think that is real shalom living. So here's another example of living the shalom life. This time, Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Can you imagine a life where no one dies? There's nothing to mourn. There are no tears No pain, no sickness. I think that's another example of shalom living. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that the verses I've read in Genesis come right at the beginning. And the verses I read in Revelation come right at the end. And the Bible tells the story of time right from the beginning to the end. So the verses I've read from Revelation are foretelling a future event that hasn't happened yet. You know what our problem is when it comes to living a life of shalom? We live in between. We live in the gap in between the two. So how was shalom lost? Shalom was lost when those first human beings decided that God the creator wasn't to be trusted. God told them, don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, there'll be consequences. They decided that either that wasn't true or it didn't matter and they did what they thought was best. And right there and then, shalom was lost. 
Because before that point, they didn't know what evil was. They didn't know what sickness was. It wasn't even that they were kept away from those things. They didn't even comprehend. They didn't know what those things were. Their expectation of life was just goodness and wholeness and happiness and joy and all of that all of the time. But then they ate and now they knew. And their lack of trust drove a wedge between them and God. A holy God had to turn away. They didn't know what insecurity was. They didn't know what loneliness was. Their expectation of life was safety and companionship. But now they knew. And their lack of trust meant they now had to be removed from the beautiful place that God had made for them because there was another tree, the tree of life, that needed to be protected. They didn't know what going to work for a living was. They had no knowledge of making a living, of struggling subsistence in those days, strife and struggle. But now they knew. Their shalom living, their shalom life was gone. So how is shalom restored? Well, the word shalom is mentioned over 250 times in the Old Testament, and that's good news because it means that even though shalom had been broken and lost, it was still on God's mind. And there's some verses in Numbers 6, um, which are probably quite famous, particularly after the pandemic, because there was a song written from these verses. And verse 22 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom, peace. God says, bless Israel with my shalom. In Isaiah as well, there's a promise of a coming shalom through Jesus Christ. And we read these words at Christmas usually, but they work all year round. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the ruler, the one in charge. And when Jesus comes to earth, he says this himself, recorded by John. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Remember all the ways we've talked about how the world sees peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. You see, the heart of God is the restoration of shalom through Jesus. You know, when Jesus came, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to just restore their kingdom because they lived in an occupied land. And they thought, yeah, Jesus is coming. He's going to sort all of that out. But if Jesus had only done that, bearing in mind what I said earlier about peace and shalom, that would have been peace for them in that time but it would not have been shalom for everybody for all time and the apostle paul sums up the mission of christ in colossians 1 15 to 20 he says the son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross or making shalom. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can get shalom. And Paul says again in Romans 5, 1 to 2, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right through faith, we have peace or shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So, Shalom was broken, but Jesus has made shalom once more possible. He's made reconciliation possible. And we look forward to that time we read about in Revelation when the impact of that recreation of shalom will be fully known. But our problem is we live in the gap. We live in a time of now, but not yet. We have that restored relationship with God, but we live in the world where shalom is still broken. We have a restored relationship with God, but we live in a con- on a continent that is at war. We have a restored relationship with God, but you might have a noisy neighbour who keeps you awake and stops you sleeping. We have a restored relationship with God, but you've been made redundant or you've had bad news from the doctor. How do we live in shalom when the world around us is crumbling? How do we live in shalom, in this gap between the now and the not yet? Here are some ways I think that we can live that shalom life in this gap. Firstly, we can live in shalom when we trust God. Girl, that's simple, isn't it? Simple and yet so difficult sometimes. It sounds so obvious, and yet we struggle, don't we, sometimes? In the same way that shalom was broken through this lack of trust, so shalom is restored when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. But it's not only our salvation that's gained through faith in Christ. Peace of mind is also gained through complete trust in him, even when situations and trials arise. And this peace of mind can go beyond what's actually logical humanly. The Apostle Paul reminds us if we get it right, it kind of puts a guard around our hearts and our minds and we can live in shalom. In Philippians 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just want to say a few words about that little word anxious in that verse. Do not be anxious about anything. Because We understand a little bit about anxiety, and anxiety is a major problem. And in many ways, it can be a medical problem if it really gets a grip. And I do not believe that what Paul is saying is, if you have a medical problem of anxiety, don't. 
Because if you've ever had that, you'll know that that just doesn't work any more than you can say don't have diabetes or don't have whatever. We understand, don't we, that if you were to go outside and into Sally Oak today and you go around a corner and there's a tiger, which isn't going to happen, obviously, but let's just stay with it. If you went around the corner and there's this tiger, your body will start to prepare itself either to fight the tiger or flee away from the tiger. So your heart starts pumping, the blood ran faster, and you're ready and you, you, know, you get, oh, right, I'm going to run away or I'm going to do this tiger in or whatever. It's probably not a great example, but anyway, I should have changed it because I did that one at Wheelie, but anyway. That's, that's our fight or flight mechanism, and it's a natural process that helps us when we're in danger to get away from the danger. But we know, don't we, that sometimes that gets stuck, and we get that anxiety response happening just by waking up in the morning sometimes. Have you ever woken up in the morning and you're like, I feel really anxious. Why am I anxious? It's because I'm speaking at Sally Oak. Yeah, that's what it is. Anyway, <laughs> we wake up with that, that sense of anxiety. There's no danger. And we, get, we can get stuck and it be, can become a medical issue. And I don't believe the Apostle Paul, like I say, is saying, if you've got a medical problem, just don't, because that doesn't help. But this idea of allowing our thoughts and our worries to keep going round and round and round and round, you know, Because I can wake up on a morning and think I feel anxious because I'm speaking at Sally Oak. And then I I can either go, oh no, what's Phil going to think? Am I going to be able to park? Are they going to remember to put the cone out? Is is everything going to be okay? Are they going to like what? You know, I'm just giving you an example. I'm not saying I did this. But it can just go round and round and round. Or we can go, you know what? Those people in Sally Oak, they're great. Lovely people. They'll be really supportive. They'll, they'll be happy even if they're not. They won't tell me. They'll be really nice. <laughs> and we, we soothe that worry, don't we? It's a little bit like, imagine you're going to catch a butterfly and people don't really do this, but you have a, a big net and you, you, know, you go like that. And it's like that with our thoughts. The Bible says, take your thoughts captive. And sometimes we have to. We have to grab that thought and we have to say, you know what? That's what I'm thinking right now, but does that match up with what the Bible says about me? No, it doesn't. And because it doesn't, I'm going to let that thought go. And when that thought comes again, I'm going to catch it again. I'm going to go, you know what? That is not what the Bible says about me. The Bible says whatever you you need to combat whatever the thought is. And we take that thought captive. And when we're doing that, the benefit of that also is the fact that our anxiety levels go down because our physical bodies realise that we're not under threat. And this is how we need to try and, you know, deal with our minds. Because when we do that, when we, when we catch those thoughts and we bring them before God with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, that's when God can put the peace, his peace in our minds and guard our hearts. No one's pretending that's easy. But the more we trust God and the more we do it, the more we can live in the reality of his peace and shalom. The prophet Isaiah wrote, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. A mind that is fixed on God, a mind that is steadfast, 
That's putting faith and trust in Jesus. A person who's building their life on that solid rock foundation is the one that's going to be living in shalom. Because we can build our lives, can't we, on any of the other things that I've mentioned, finances, good health, you know, peaceful situations, peaceful countries and all of the rest. We can build our lives on all of those things, but all of those things are not solid rock. And please God, nothing ever happens here like we're seeing happen in other nations of the world, but we could be living there, or things like that could happen here. Does our shalom disappear at that point? If we're building our lives on that firm, solid rock, then we are still possible to find that place of peace and shalom, even in the most difficult situations. So we can live in shalom when we trust God. We can live in shalom when we ask the right questions. A while ago um, at Wheelie Castle, we did the prayer course, which is led by Pete Gregg. And uh, he leads the 24-7 prayer movement. And during the prayer course, he said something like this. In the difficult times of life, sometimes asking why is the wrong question. It's best to ask God, where are you in this situation? And Pete Gregg says that not as someone who's never had a problem, but as someone who has gone through some really challenging situations with his health, the health of his wife. But you know, I think it's right because when things go wrong, isn't it easy to go, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why is that person down the road seem to never have any problems? But me, you know, just my look, why, 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 why God, why, why, why? And the problem when we say things like that, of course, is where is our focus? Our focus is on ourselves. Why me, God? It's all about me. When at times... It's hard to ask the question, God, where are you in this situation? The Bible promises that if we seek God, we will find him if we seek him with all our hearts. So when things are difficult, it's better for us to go, you know what, I'm not going to ask why. I'm going to say, God, where are you in this situation? Where are you working in this situation? Because then my focus isn't on me, it's on him. And he is the author of Shalom. You see, shalom does not come from within us. It comes from him. And this is one of the key differences between us as Christians and some Eastern spiritualities that will tell you that if you sit in a room and you say something over and over again and you empty yourself out, that you will find under there somewhere when it's all gone, your inner peace. How can your inner peace come from you when you're a human being that is broken, I do not know. It's not true. We cannot get inner peace from deep, deep within ourselves, no matter how deep we dig down. We can only get that shalom from him because he is the rock, eternal. Excuse me. You know, God has been found by people in the most unlikely and often dark places. He's been found in a burning bush. He's been found in darkness. He's been found in a cloud. He's been heard in a still, small voice. And if we want to live this shalom life, we need to trust him and we need to ask him the right questions. Thirdly, and normally that's finally in a sermon, isn't it? But I'm afraid it isn't this time, so stick with it. We can live a shalom life when we remember the promise 
A few weeks ago, we were really privileged and excited at Willie Castle to baptise a lady called Wendy. And one of the things Wendy said during her testimony was this. She said, I thank you, God, that this world is not my final destination. And this world is not our final home. Remember Jesus said this to his disciples, recorded by John. Do not let your hearts be troubled, those words again. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me and you also may be where I am. You know, there are millions of people, maybe even billions right now, looking at our world, considering what we have been through with two years of a pandemic, now looking at the instability, the potential threat of war. They look at the possibility of a global financial collapse and irreparable damage to our climate. And the only hope these dear people have is in medical science and world government. And we wonder why mental health is such a big issue. Yet here we are looking at the same situation and we have a saviour who says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Right now, I'm getting a place ready for you and one day soon, I'm going to come and take you there. One day, this full version of the Shalom life will be yours to enjoy forever. One day there will be no more death or grief or crying or pain. There was a very little amen there. I feel it should have been a bit bigger. (laughs) One day there will be no more death or grief or crying or pain. Get in there. (laughs) You know, depending on how old you are, but I'm going to go with this, a hundred years from now, or significantly less if you're older, None of the stuff that bothers you today will matter anymore. And there's been some times in my life when things have been really difficult and I've struggled, but I've gone, you know what, God, 50 years from now, this will not matter, no matter how bad it is. That doesn't mean that God isn't interested in our lives on earth or that they don't matter because they do. This series that we're in is about God's thoughts for our well-being here on earth. But you know, the reason we want to have good well-being is that it enables us to fulfill the purpose that we have while we're here. You see, we're here to reach those, I've already mentioned, whose only hope is in medical science and world government and finding peace somehow from digging deep enough into themselves. You know, I don't believe it's possible for us to live a life on earth of shalom without keeping our eyes fixed on the future promise. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So we live in a shalom life by trusting God, by asking the right questions, and by remembering the promise. There might be many more things, but for me, this final point is my final, finally. We can live a shalom life when we share it with others. Remember back in Genesis, God said it's not good for people to be alone. We're designed for community and interdependence. And there's a pastor in New York called Tim Keller, and he says this, God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship with one another. Just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. 
This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. We cannot live a shalom life in isolation. Something of the peace, safety, prosperity, well-being, wholeness and security of shalom has to spill over from our lives into the lives of others. Okay, oh, that's good. That was like the old days then, wasn't it? Can you imagine? I'm sure when this building was built, they didn't have address PA and all that. They just had to project their voice, and we were right there then. So I'm going to just backtrack a little bit, because that may not have come over on YouTube either. Um, But we cannot live a shalom life in isolation. The peace, safety, prosperity, well-being, wholeness and security of shalom has to spill over from our lives into the lives of others. And our peace and safety and prosperity can never come at the expense of that of other people. Which brings us to the whole area of justice, which I don't have time to talk about today. But Jesus says these words in Matthew 25. says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I don't know about you, but I find in meeting the needs of others is one of the greatest senses of well-being that I ever get. Not because, only because of the joy that we bring to another person, but again, it takes my gaze away from me and onto other people. It's not the reason that we do it, but it is a consequence of it. See, life is to be shared and shalom is to be shared. And back in Genesis, those people had no, no understanding of being hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes. Well, they did, that's sort of slight. <laughs> no understanding of being sick, no understanding of being in prison. But now we understand those things. Now we do know we have the opportunity to bring shalom into those places. Shalom is to be shared. So living the shalom life involves us trusting God, asking the right questions, remembering the promise and sharing it with others. And I'd like to pray for you as you come to a conclusion. So perhaps you'd like to just perhaps close your eyes. And I want you to just ask God, is there one of those four things where 
you feel like actually God, I ne- I'd need some more shalom in my life right there. Maybe you're struggling to trust God with a situation. Maybe you're in a situation and you've been going, why God, why, why me, why not them, why God, why, why? And God says, hey, turn your gaze to me, seek me with all your heart. Ask the right questions. Maybe you just needed reminding today of the promise. I go to prepare a place for you and one day you will be there with me and you will have this shalom life forever. That's such an encouragement. Or maybe God is putting his finger on an area where he wants you to share your shalom life with someone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are this eternal rock that we stand on and that you have created this idea of shalom, this way of living that is so peaceful, so complete, so secure. And God, we are sorry for the ways in which our lives were, you know, we live in a broken world. We thank you for the restoration of shalom through Jesus Christ. But God, we live in this difficult place in the now and the not yet. We live in the in-between. We're living in that gap. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in Sully Oak today that if anyone is struggling with trusting you, God, with putting their hope and the trust and they've got that knot of anxiety in their stomach, God, I pray that you will just help them to take those thoughts captive and replace those thoughts with your word. And Father, for those who are just saying, God, why? Why me? Why now? Why here? God, I pray that they will begin to seek you with all their hearts and say, God, okay, this is where I am. Where are you working? Where are you in this situation, Father? Show me. Help me to pray into those areas where you want to do work. Father, we thank you so much for the promise that you give us that this world isn't our final destination and actually we're not meant to feel really at home here because our home is somewhere else. We thank you for that promise, God. And I pray, God, that each one of us will just grab a hold of this world that needs to know, this world that needs to see Jesus, this world that needs to understand Shalom, this world that is so crazy, has got so messed up and right now is just bearing on the edge of we don't know what. God, I pray that for each one of us, you will lead us to people who need to hear that this world is not our final destination and that we can have a hope in Jesus. Father, may we share your shalom with those around us, those at the school gate, those who live next door, those in the office, those in the shops. God, may we share. God, where are you working in our lives today? Show us, I pray, that we may bring your shalom to the world around us today. In the name of Jesus. Amen.